0: All right, so Revelation, it, it's a train wreck in a lot of ways, and it can, be, it can be tricky. It can be tricky to know how do we do this, lots of controversy over what Revelation means and how we apply it to our lives. So today, I'm going to apologize in advance. It's going to feel like school. I'm sorry. It's just foundation, and we'll refer back to this as we go through the rest of the book. So uh, this is just to get us all on the same page, because there's lots of ways that we can miss each other. Um, when we get into Revelation, said, y'all don't have to agree with me. I just want you to know where I'm coming from and why I'm saying what I'm saying. And then y'all can kind of form your own opinions in, on, on what you believe Revelation is speaking to you. So we're just going to look at a few verses this morning as a way of introduction. So starting in chapter 1, verse 1, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave Jesus to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything that he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. We're going to pause there. So let me give you a little background. Who wrote Revelation? Revelation. We're gonna, I'm going to say John the Apostle, the beloved disciple, the one who we just went through the Gospel of John, same guy. That's the traditional uh, answer to that question, all the way back to the second century. There are people who say it's not John the Apostle, it's a guy named John the Prophet who we don't know. Um, and you can, people who love Jesus and love the Bible would say that. We're, I'm going to say John the Apostle. I don't see a reason not to, and that, again, is the oldest answer. And I figure those guys knew because they were closer to the time. When was it written? 90s A.D. during the reign of an emperor named Domitian. So he was a Roman emperor, and he was the first emperor to um, kind of expand persecution of Christianity. Under Nero in the 60s, Christians were persecuted, but they were, it was uh, confined to Rome. And it wasn't because they were Christians; it's because one Nero was crazy, and the other was because uh, there was this great fire in Rome, and he needed to blame some people for for it. A lot of people think he started it, and he was looking for people to blame, and he chose Christians. So they weren't that people. Christians were persecuted more because they were a minority uh, out of convenience than for their faith. Domitian persecuted Christians for their faith. That doesn't mean everybody, everywhere, every day. But it was more widespread than under Nero, and it was because of their faith. And Domitian, from what we can gather, was the first emperor to want to be called the Lord and the God, and you'll, Lord, the Lord, Lord and God. And you'll see that play out in Revelation. So written in the '90s, written to seven churches in what is now Turkey. It's just, there are other churches in this region during the time. We don't know why these seven were picked. But it was a. It's a called a. It's a circular letter. So every one of these churches would have read Revelation. It was written to each one of them, which ties into another part of Revelation. It's it's very symbolic, and oftentimes the numbers numbers have meaning. Seven, for instance, means complete, and so maybe seven churches. It's representative of all the churches. Four is an important number in Revelation. It, it's the number for creation. Twelve is an important number. The number of God's people. And then the multiples of all of those numbers. And as we get into Revelation, we'll refer back to that. So that's just some background on Revelation. So what exactly is it? This is important. If we're talking about the Good Samaritan, and I say it's a parable, which is a story taken from real life that communicates one spiritual truth, and you say it's an allegory, a story that's made up where every single detail has symbolic meaning and significance. We're not going to understand the Good Samaritan the same way, because we think it's two. We're, we're approaching it from two different perspectives. I'm approaching it as a, from a par, as a parable, and you're approaching it as an allegory. So, what is John to the seven churches? It's a letter. So, it was written to these seven churches in Asia Minor in the 90s, who were their outside world was unsettled. There was some persecution, or at least the threat of it. And some of those seven churches were responding and some of those churches were compromising and they were comfortable. And John is writing to all of them a prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud. It has a future component. It was looking forward and it's written in the same vein as the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, those prophets. There There is a future element, but it's also comforting people who are being faithful in the midst of difficulty against him. And we'll see both of those things happening in Revelation, responding faithfully. And again, God is encouraging And God is saying to them, there's down this road. So there is a future for us. This isn't, we don't get a lot of sections in it. That sees through the 180. Lots of features. We don't need symbolic. We're not going to take It doesn't mean it's not when Jesus, he's not going to take it not church didn't make sense to them therefore everything was, was fulfilled kind of within their lifespan the other end of the uh, spectrum is futurist chapters 1 2 and 3 were written to these seven churches beginning in chapter 4 that's when things get a little weird from 4 all the way to the end that's all future so most of revelation hasn't yet happened it's, it's concerning the events around the few years around when jesus will return. So those are the two ends of the spectrum in terms of time. Either it's all already happened or the majority of it has not yet happened. It's still in the unknown, maybe distant future. There's another interpretation called the spiritual interpretation or idealist. It says, listen, this is highly symbolic. It's communicating the struggle between God and Satan, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we need to be looking for the timeless principles that we can apply to our life. The last one, and this is called the historicist. That's kind of hard to say. Not super popular anymore and kind of rightfully so. But some of you may have this in your mind. It's a popular understanding of Revelation, even though most people would say that's not And a great way of approaching it, it says, "Revelation is it's it's painting an arc of history from the time of John till Jesus returns. The major moves of history, and trying to connect the symbols with historical people and institutions. So during the around the time of the Reformation in the Middle Ages, this was super popular. And you can you know the reformers were saying you know the Pope is the Antichrist and the Catholic Church is the Beast and That's, you know, we've got Saddam Hussein has been the Antichrist and Osama bin Laden's been the Antichrist and Hitler's been the Antichrist. We've got lots of them to choose from. So that's kind of this historicist perspective where you've got the newspaper in one hand and Revelation in the the other and you're trying to connect the dots. What we're going to do is called the eclectic approach, which means we get to take the best of all of them and leave the rest. And it's all based on what Revelation is. It's a letter. If it didn't make sense to the first guys who read it, then it's probably not a good interpretation. It's prideful and arrogant of us to say, this, this letter was written, but it's really just for us. It's not for anybody else. Or it's just for the people who live in the last season of, uh, of earth before Jesus returns. He wrote it to comfort and to challenge seven churches. There is historical reality there. It's got to make sense to them, but or and Revelation's also prophecy. It does deal with the future. There are things, as we read Revelation, we're going to say, that hasn't happened yet. It has not happened yet. One of the things that's tricky about prophecy in the Bible is that it often has two fulfillments, one that's near and one that's in the far future. So Isaiah 40, we use that, we apply that to John the Baptist, because Matthew and Mark do, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make... Straight, the path for the Lord. Isaiah wrote that. 700 years later, John the Baptist fulfilled it. But much closer to Isaiah's time, those words were meant to comfort the Jews when they were returning from Babylonian captivity. Just 100 years, 150 years after Isaiah wrote that. Both of those are true fulfillments of Isaiah 40. One is close, one is farther, and Revelation is the same. We'll be able to see, hey, I can see how this maybe was fulfilled in the first century. And we'll also be able to say, but it wasn't fully fulfilled. There's more to that that we'll ultimately, we won't see until Jesus returns. And It's also apocalyptic. So the language is symbolic. We're going to take it seriously, but we're not going to take it literally. And we certainly aren't going to be trying to connect the dots between the United States military and plagues in the, that are listed in Revelation, which is a popular thing that people do. So that's how we're going to approach it. If we're going to miss each other, me and you, most likely we're going to miss each other because we approach Revelation differently. So I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. You don't have to agree with me, but that's the approach that we're taking. I think even if you disagree with me, you probably can still glean something from the way uh, I'll approach the book, and hopefully it will be encouraging to you as we as we move on, so here's what John writes to the seven churches: grace and peace to you, from Him who is and who was and who is to come. That's God the Father, and from the seven spirits before the Father's throne. So remember, seven is a symbolic number. Your Bible may say the sevenfold spirit, so that's referring to the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit, that's referring to the Holy Spirit. Don't get don't get. Again, lost in the weeds of seven. Well, I thought he was one. Remember, this is symbolic, and seven is a symbol for, or for completeness. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So we have all of the Trinity there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to Jesus be glory and power forever and ever, amen. Look, Jesus is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of Jesus. So shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. One thing just real briefly, why will all the peoples on the earth mourn because of Jesus? Mourning can be a sign of repentance. So it could be that people are repenting and mourning can also be a sign of grief. And I think that the answer is yes, both. Everyone's going to see Jesus, and for some, that it will provoke repentance. And it has in many of your lives. You've repented of your sins and you've accepted him as your Lord and your Savior. And for others who've rejected him, when they see him, it will cause grief in their hearts and they realize, I was wrong. I was wrong, and he's coming to judge. So uh, there's lots of ways that we can miss, again, uh, kind of misunderstand Revelation, tons of pitfalls beyond just trying to connect the dots. Who is this person? Who who are these symbols referring to? One of the ways that, one of the pitfalls, I guess, that we're going to try to avoid is it's easy to lose sight of God as the center of Revelation. We can get so lost in all the symbolism and the beast and the the harlot, and all these, the dragon, and and we can lose sight of the lamb. We can lose sight of God who is at the center and at the foundation of revelation. And John begins the book by saying, hey, I want you to remember. I want you to remember Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Worship is a huge thread that runs through revelation. This is, you can almost see this as the beginning of, of a of a hymn or a a worship song that we would call it. And we'll see those throughout Revelation. When you're in a difficult time, one of the best ways to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus is worship. It's one of the easiest ways to kind of get your eyes off of your circumstances and to be reminded of truth and of eternity and of God, again, as center and foundation. Another easy pitfall to fall into with, with Revelation is we can, um, you know what, let's do this. <laughs> we're running out of time. So let me, let me do this. Let me, let me tell you the central message of Revelation, and then we'll just, we'll jump into, um, we're going to take communion to close our service. This is what I want you to keep in mind as you read, as we read Revelation, cutting away all of the... Again, kind of all the symbolism, like what's the heart of the book? Remember, this is written to people who are struggling and to people who are in danger of compromising their faith. And what John says to them is regardless of how things look, God's working. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of what you're reading in the newspaper seeing on the internet, God is working. He's establishing his kingdom. That's his rule and his reign. And he's overcoming Satan. And he's overcoming evil. His expectation of his people is to be faithful to him, even if it costs you your life. And as we read through Revelation, we'll see that that happens. There are people who die because of their faith. They are rewarded in heaven. But the expectation is you will be willing to die. In favor kingdom and overthrowing evil. God expects faithfulness from his people, even to the point of death. And in the end, he will win. And all of those who are his will be rewarded. That's the book. I have an unusual schedule. I come in pretty early, and I leave pretty early uh, in the afternoon. And two or three days a week, I go to a gym, health place, and it's connected to a hospital. So there's there's a cardiac rehab element. And so when I go to the gym... I'm 35 or 40 years younger than most of the people because most people are working when I go at two in the afternoon. I come in early, I leave early. and So I'm there and it's me and people like my mom's age and I I'm get off this probably four or five times in the last two weeks. So I get off this treadmill thing or elliptical machine and I'm pretty sweaty and these people come up to me and say, man, how do you do that? How do you work so hard? I don't say this, but in my mind, what I'm thinking is, you don't have a heart attack last week. Like that's step one. And step two is you be born after World War II. Those two things <laughs> will help you. Like there's nothing special. But I can feel really good in that moment. Say like I have groupies <laughs> at Health Place. Then if I walk over to the other section, sometimes the fire department is there and they're lifting weights. And I don't feel quite as the same. It's just a shift in perspective. That's what Revelation is. John is trying to shift perspective for these Christians who are struggling. And for some of them, they're struggling and saying, where is God? And for some of them, they're struggling and saying, where is God? But their response is, where is God? He's not coming back. And so I'm going to, Work out things on my own. It's interesting, this idea of John says twice, this is what will soon take place. The time is near. And we say, John, it's been 1900 years, son. There's nothing soon about that. Nothing soon at all. And when you're in the midst of a difficulty and what you hear is Jesus is coming back soon. And in their case, it's been 60 years. And they're saying, where is he? In our case, it's been 2,000, and we're saying, where is he? And for some of you, it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been decades, and you're saying, where is he? And there's a temptation in that moment to not stand firm, to not be faithful. There's a temptation in that moment to compromise, and in your mind, you're not compromising your faith. And John is pulling back the curtain, and he's saying, actually, that's what's happening here and we'll see that as we get into the letters with these churches in a couple of weeks churches established by god or jesus hasn't returned and made everything right and they're living in the midst of difficulty and confusion and in some cases in the midst of suffering and maybe that's where you are this morning and i want to encourage you with the message of the book of revelation god is working He's establishing his kingdom in your life. He's establishing his kingdom in our city and in our world. He is actively destroying the works of the devil. He's overcoming Satan and he's overcoming evil. His expectation is for us to be faithful. And he gives us everything that we need to stand firm. His spirit living within us, his word to guide us into the truth. And in the end, he will win. If you stay connected with him, you will be rewarded. Don't compromise. Don't sell out. It's hard when you hear soon, and it's been 2,000 years. It's hard when you hear God has a plan and purpose for your life, and you don't see it. It's hard when you hear God can heal and you're still sick. It's hard when you hear God provides and you're broke. It's hard when you hear God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And you're saying, show me when. The message of the book of Revelation, the unveiling, the pulling back of the curtain. He's actively working. Will you trust him? We're going to close this morning by taking communion. Uh, We do that. You'll come forward a row at a time. You'll break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. This is gluten-free communion if you need that. We'll have ministry teams here up in the corners. We'll pray with you about whatever you have going on. Two things in particular. One, we do want to pray for physical healing. We have a a service tonight. Some of you won't be able to come. Uh, And every month when we take communion, we always pray for people who are physically sick. One of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection is healing. Healing is a mystery to us, but we want to give him the opportunity. To work in our bodies. So if you're sick, uh, you can come to one of these ministry teams. They'll take some oil and they'll uh, put some oil on their finger and they'll make a little cross on your hand and they'll pray very simply for God to heal you. You don't have to go into all the details of your diagnosis. You can just tell them just very generally what's going on and they'll pray uh, for God to heal you. The second area I want you thinking about, it's interesting, uh, John refers to Jesus as the one who freed us from our sins. We think about being forgiven from our sins Jesus' death pays the price that we owe, pays our debt, which is 100% true. But John says Jesus is, we're freed from our sins by Jesus' blood. I talked to a, a woman a couple of weeks ago. She's struggling in some areas in terms of her identity and some other things. And I said, well, if you prayed," and she said, yeah. I said, well, what, do you feel like the Lord showed you anything? And she said, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm in a cage, but the door's open. I'm just choosing to stand inside of it. And for many of us, that's where we live, We've been forgiven of our sins and we've been set free from them. We just don't recognize that we've been set free. We don't realize that you don't have to continue to fall into the same sinful patterns over and over again. Sin doesn't have any power over you that you don't give it. Jesus has broken the power of sin through his death and through his resurrection. And so I want to encourage you, if there's an area of your life where you would say, I continue to fail, I'm talking about sin. Or I'm continuing to miss the mark. I'm continuing to come up short. Please let these teams pray that you would experience the freedom from sin that Jesus purchased for you. Hebrews 12 talks about throwing off everything that entangles us and the sin that can trip us up so easily, hinder us. If you would say, I'm being hindered, I'm being entangled by anger, by fear by pornography, by unforgiveness. If you would say, I'm not living free, then let us pray that as you come forward and take communion, as you're reminded that Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't just provide for your forgiveness, but also provides for your freedom from sin. And we'll just pray for God to make that real and known to you and that you will walk out of the cage, the doors of which he's already opened. Okay, let's pray. If you're on the, if you're helping with communion, if you come forward, ministry teams, you guys can come forward also. That'd be great. Y'all just pray briefly with me, if you would. God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for uh, revealing to us the truth that you're always at work. And I pray as we just kind of dip our toes in the water of revelation that it would be encouraging. And I pray that it would be challenging. God, I pray that you would use it to make us uh, more and more into the people that you are calling us to be. God, honestly, I pray it wouldn't bring division in our church. I certainly pray it wouldn't bring confusion into the lives of anybody who's gathering here. And pray very specifically this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister into the lives of those gathered here the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. The forgiveness of our sins, any who are struggling with guilt and condemnation. I pray this morning they would know their debt's been paid, that they would receive in faith the gift of forgiveness in life, the healing of our diseases. That's a mystery to us, but Holy Spirit, would you heal bodies as a demonstration of the fact that your kingdom is coming? And I pray that those who are hindered and entangled by habitual sin, that this morning they would walk in the freedom that you've purchased for them, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand. Come forward as Kim cues you. And we'll have ministry teams here up in the front. Please stop by for prayer.